Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome back to Homeschool Together. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have a chance and you'd like to support the podcast, we have a link down below where you can click on that and support the podcast. But always the best way to support the podcast is to tell a friend and a family and especially podcasts like this where we talk about our homeschooling journeys, where we talk with a family who is you know young at homeschooling. They talk about nakedly about all the the challenges and the tribulations mm, and all and the, the joys and the joys and and really we we get to kind of pull back the curtain and see what the life is like inside of a homeschooling family and we have dozens and dozens of these interviews and today was another great interview with mm-hmm. David Clover and their little daughter and it was it was an absolutely fantastic interview yeah yeah so David is a homeschooling dad and one of the things that was really interesting about our interview with him was that this is a family that uses a Waldorf inspired a secularized Waldorf-inspired uh, curriculum. And we go into depth about how he you know, modified the curriculum. Right. This was very interesting. We haven't talked with a family that used that before, so that was a really interesting point. And then the other interesting piece of this is that um, David decided that he wanted to send his daughter back to school, and so there's still going to be a portion of her education that will happen at home, but they're actually trying out school for her this year. And I think it's a really great opportunity to talk to a family who's kind of done both and, mm-hmm. and is now running on a little bit of a hybrid model. And knowing that for so many homeschool families, homeschooling might be a season of your lives, but it might not be everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe at some point you're going to go back to school for a time or you're going to use school and then homeschool during the summers or uh, maybe you're just going to homeschool through elementary and then eventually send your kids back to school. The idea that kind of we're going to do an all or nothing is I don't think very realistic or very generous to the fact that, you know, we as parents are trying to do the best thing for our kids Mm -hmm. in whichever stage they're at and whichever season of our lives we're in. And, you know, each year might look different. So I think it's a great perspective that doesn't often get talked about on Mm -hmm. homeschooling podcasts definitely is, you know, where does school maybe school is sometimes the right answer for different families. So Mm -hmm. this was a great interview and we so appreciated um, David's time and in talking with us about his family. So without further ado, let's get to David and hear his story. Hi, David. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It is so nice to meet you both. I know we have seen your name pop up on the Mm -hmm. Facebook group. And so we're excited to talk with you and dig into some homeschool stuff. So give us some background. Tell us about your family and, and what drove you all to homeschool. Yeah, so um, my partner Chet and I have one kiddo, a daughter. She is eight now. Mm -hmm. We were really reluctant to homeschool. We definitely Mm -hmm. didn't plan on it from the beginning. I know a lot of people do. For me, we decided to just have one child. And I was like, well, obviously she'll be in school because that's where other kids are. Mm -hmm. And then also I'm... um, I'm an 
artist, a fine artist originally. And I grew up my whole life being told, oh, well, you can teach art. Like as if being a teacher was like the only responsible choice in that field (laughs) that I could do. And so I think I really developed a distaste for the idea of teaching at a pretty young age because Mm -hmm. everyone was telling me like, oh, obviously you'll be a teacher. And I was like, I don't think that I want to do that. I was also a really awkward kid. I'm um, autistic and I was not diagnosed as a child. So I didn't know why I was so awkward and uncomfortable around other kids. So I was like, I didn't even like kids as a kid. Like, (laughs) I'll like my own kid, but I'm not gonna like teaching. That's crazy. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really um, on on my radar as an option. Um, But then what happened? The first thing that happened is when she was four, we applied to two different preschools and we didn't get into either of them. And um, I wasn't really happy with the other options in our area. So I was like, well, we have neighbors who homeschool. We're just, and honestly, like, like we don't really need to do preschool but I was like well we'll do some homeschool preschool things just Mm -hmm. to kind of satisfy you because you were excited about starting preschool Mm -hmm. so and we had neighbors who were homeschooling so that seemed logical to her she was like oh okay I'm doing school at home just like these people do and it was terrible and we both really really hated it I was trying to do all these Montessori inspired things and I was also working from home at the same time and she wanted all of my attention and she was upset and everything was kind of a mess and then that year so her preschool year in March is when COVID hit right mm-hmm. and um I have a lot of health problems And I'm pretty high risk for COVID complications. So we had to be really, really careful and everything. We just, we just stopped doing any quote unquote school stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was at that time, you know, more certain than ever, no matter what happens, she is going to kindergarten (laughs) in September. September, I will not allow any other thing to happen. And of course, you guys remember, it's so weird now that those first couple weeks of COVID when everyone was like, oh, yeah, two weeks, uh, maybe four yeah. weeks off. You know? yeah. And it yeah. seemed oh, like this it was kind of cool. Be... I could be home from work a little bit. Yeah, you know? a month I mean, or so. Unfortunately, me, there was a lot of death involved. But, you know, for, it was a horrible thing. But it was like, oh, some more time with my family for a little bit. And then it just. Right. For those going. of us that lived, you know, it, yeah. had some... it kept going and going. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was getting close to summer. And of course, the plans for what schools were going to reopen in the fall mm-hmm. was or how they were going to do it was all still up in the air. We had no idea what they were going to do yet. Uh, the local school district hadn't even released like an outline of a plan yet. Um, and we live in an area where we have, we're in Michigan, we have school of choice and we have a lot of public schools and charter schools in our city, but you have to apply for all of them. None of them are just automatic entry. Mm. So it's like, you have to decide and you have to put in all these applications. Now the public schools, you do one application, but at that time it was still, you know, you might be putting in five applications. And we forgot to send in some of the applications because it was so stressful. And then come June, we were like, well, this isn't going away. 
And so then, yeah, so we were like, okay, so what's the school plan going to be in the fall? And in-person was out because of my health risks at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, we barely knew which masks worked and there was no vaccine on the horizon mm-hmm. or treatments, right? Mm-hmm. There was no like known treatments mm-hmm. yet. And then also um, she was afraid of Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't even do a video call with my mom. She would hide under the table. So we were like, she can't do Zoom kindergarten. I'm not sure anyone should do Zoom kindergarten, but she can't do Ours Zoom tried kindergarten. To do, tried to do Zoom dance uh, class. Dance it class, did not work. It did not work well. Yeah. She's now done a couple of like one-off classes like that on out school. And some of them have been okay, but it's not, yeah, it's not socializing. So I was talking actually with my therapist at the time and, and I was stressing about all of it. And, and they said to me, you have to stop looking for the best option and figure out which is the least bad option. Like you just have to admit that all the options are bad right now. Right. And so I made a list and I was like, I guess homeschooling is the least bad option. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we bought a curriculum based on a recommendation from a friend. Just ask one friend to keep it simple. What do you, what do you think we should do? We're just going to do kindergarten. There's no way we're going to do more than (laughs) kindergarten. We bought the all-in-one curriculum. We thought we were going to, you know, just muddle through, figured if we screw it up completely, hey, it's only one year. How behind could she get? (laughs) And then um, my daughter and I ended up really loving it. And we really kind of fell in love. And I kind of fell in love with educating and with learning about the way that kids learn Mm -hmm. and the way that she learns and the way that I learn. And that all became really exciting for me and kind of like a little bit of a special interest energy. That's awesome. Do you think it was the difference in the the curriculums that changed your outlook or was it the kind of accepting of, you know, we're just going to make the best out of a bad situation or, you know, what was, what do you think was like the change factor between preschool and kinder? Yeah. That's a really good question. I think it was partly the acceptance. I think when I was trying to do preschool, I was trying to do a lot of other things at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and also, I wasn't listening to my kid. You know, mm-hmm. I think different different learning styles do work different for different people. Um, people like different things. That's not a surprise. And I really had this ideological bent towards this like very self-directed learning. So we'd have our little Montessori trays and she would, you know, get to pick what she worked with Mm. and she hated it. And I, I, she eventually, you know, she came to me and she said, Papa, I just want you to teach me stuff. And I was like, Oh, well, how do I do that? <laughs> that wasn't my plan. That wasn't, yeah, my, that plan. wasn't my plan. Ever. You're, you're um, supposed to find your path in the world. Right. I know. Like, aren't you excited by these unique manipulatives? And she was <laughs> Intrinsically like, I, motivated to do that. Yeah. Puzzle. And that, she was that, like, can you. I want a lecture. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So, so she really, you know, kind of wanted this more top down approach <laughs> to and, learning. And, you know, and that's the amazing thing is that there's so many different there is no one size fits all and it's some kids right. would respond well to that and mm-hmm. some kids would want the more Montessori I we know our right. youngest would want the more Montessori but you know I think our 
our, our oldest is now starting to like the, just, you know, read to me and teach me stuff. Yeah, and I want to learn. To be, she wants a lot of that attention hands yeah. on time. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, it's funny how each kid is a little bit different and how different learning styles and different, you know, school options fit mm-hmm. better for different kids. So it's funny how mm-hmm. you, yeah, you had to. So how did, how did you adapt to that change? Right. Cause that wasn't, I, I love when we like buy all the manipulatives, we have this whole plan and then our Gosh. kids are like, no, that's not going to work for us. And so we have to really adapt and change. How, what was that process like for you to like get your brain to kind of switch gears. Yeah, I think the first, so kindergarten was really, we bought um, the Oak Meadow kindergarten curriculum Mm -hmm. and it's kind of all packaged in one. So there's like a storybook and then there's the lessons book and you decide what you're going to do, which days, but it's all there for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was very clear Like, I'm going to read you this story, and then we are going to do this activity together. And she really loved that. And she also really loves, she would hate that I said this, but she really loves authority. So the fact that the, you know, I was like, the book says to do this. She was like, oh, okay, the book says, let's go. (laughs) That was very comforting to her to have like a higher, you know, it's not just the pop says this is a good idea. So, so yeah, I think it was really doing that process and then through doing that process in kindergarten, because we started with one curriculum, we're just going to do this one thing for the year. And then by January, I'm like taking pieces out, I'm adding stuff, (laughs) I'm changing things. We're going to do this in a different order. That's not working for me. Um, Yeah. Were you you doing that, that changing and that adapting because of what she needed? As opposed, as opposed to like, we're going to play and test is you were starting to say, I see what she needs and I'm starting to or build what you want to do. Maybe because yeah, sometimes I'm thinking think like, she, okay. she'd she like this, but I also think this would be awesome. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. Like as, as we interview a lot of different families, we, we find that we all start somewhere and then everyone becomes this eclectic homeschooler yeah, because absolutely. they start to realize what their kids need and what works best for them and what interest they may have. And it's hard to find a one size fits all curriculum that solves that problem. You really have to mash together multiple things, yeah. but starting somewhere was the obviously the right place. Yeah. I feel like it helped me it like help teach me how to teach. Exactly. And yes. then I ran into um, the same thing. I ran into the same yeah, thing. I had, to, I had yeah. to learn to be a teacher. I, I right. You don't know what to do. Right. You don't know like that. And it's funny. I was just looking back on something that I wrote from that fall and I was just so exhausted. I was like, oh my gosh, we're doing two lessons a day. And one of the lessons is just like playing together because it's Mm -hmm. kindergarten and I'm so tired. I'm the (laughs) tiredest I've ever been in my life. We're bringing back nap time. We're bringing back nap time. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I was when I first, the reason that it was funny to me is because she just started at a local school this fall and we're still kind of deciding how that's going to play out for our family. But um, I had the same reaction to putting her in school. I'm just like, I'm so tired. I drop her off and pick her up and it's the most exciting, exhausting, not exciting. It's <laughs> the most exhausting thing I've ever done in my life. How is this real? So yeah, it's just, I think that change, but um, yeah, I think there were two things. One was realizing what she needed more. And the other was coming to the realization that like, if you think back to your best teachers when you were in school they were the teachers that were excited about the subject matter. 
Mm-hmm. And so realizing like, oh, I can teach things I'm excited about, or I can mm-hmm. teach in a way that's fun for me. And then that, that's going to show through, right? Like that's going to mm-hmm. shine through and that's going to work for her better than me trying to push myself through a curriculum that I hate, but she said she wanted, which we did try once. And that was never again. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it about Oak Meadow that you really connected with? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because we haven't talked to an Oak Meadow family before. Yeah. So we're really So we're not here. an Oak Meadow family anymore. Um, we only did the kindergarten year. I liked that it was a bit slower than a lot of the other kindergarten curriculums. It actually reminded me a bit more of the way that kindergarten was when I was a kid, like not pushing reading in kindergarten necessarily, but like, mm-hmm. let's learn the letters. Um, I liked the hands-on aspect. I liked there was a lot of movement and I liked the heavy arts focus. I'm an artist, so that's not shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked those. And I liked um, in Waldorf education, most things are taught initially through story. So you read or tell a story first And then you kind of let that soak in and then you like pull out the academic info from it and sort of do something with it. Mm -hmm. That's paraphrasing, but Mm -hmm. more or less. And I really liked that aspect of it as well. But Oak Meadow itself, I don't think is, it's not something I continued to use, partly because it's an all-in-one. And like you said, like that doesn't, work for most people there's they have different needs in different areas the math was too slow for her she was so that was the first thing that we added is that she was bored of the math and really excited about numbers and wanted to do more math than they were giving her so we were mm-hmm. like okay well let's papa will find more math and we will <laughs> do more math and then um she wanted to start learning how to read and they were just teaching the letters and I was, was like, okay, well, what do we do with that? I kind of remember doing a little bit of phonics when I was a kid. Can I just kind of do what I remember with you? Nope, nope, that doesn't work. Wow, that was bad. <laughs> and <laughs> and then by, I think it was by the spring of that year, I we realized that we liked homeschooling and wanted to keep doing it. And I, um, I'm dyslexic, mm-hmm. which means my daughter is almost definitely dyslexic. And I was like, I have to learn how to teach her how to read. And I don't understand it still as an adult. So I'm a nerd. So I started doing a lot of research. And then my partner was so sick of me for about two months. Every time we talked, I was like, did you know this new phonics thing I just learned? It's so exciting. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? this comes from the French. (laughs) And they were just like, oh my God, stop it. (laughs) Um, They were very nice, but it was, it was a little bit, uh, it it grated on them. Um, (laughs) So so I got really excited about the science of reading and phonics and started, so we started adding um, logic of English. Cool. Mm -hmm. How How did you like logic of English? Oh, we really liked it. Um, We really liked the first two books of it. And after that, I think it got a little bit too complicated and we had to 
change a lot of things to make it work. Okay. It's interesting. I remember listening to one of your podcasts where you said that logic of English looked too complicated mm-hmm. yeah. versus all about reading. Yeah. And I looked at both of them and felt the opposite. I was like, okay, this I can handle. That okay. one looks, that's too many moving parts. I can't do it. They're, they're, all, all about reading has a lot of moving it parts. It does. I think we watched yeah. the very first video of like doodling dragons or whatever in logic of English with like the four sounds of A. And I was like, all right, we're moving too quick. <laughs> It's like, yeah. Mm. See, well, I really like. Yeah, we knew our. Yeah, yeah, we knew our, yeah. our learner would would have struggled with that. But all the right. songs, I think, really could yeah. like totally click with a lot of kids, and maybe they would have clicked mm-hmm. with our learner and just didn't click with me. I think that's the funny thing about curriculum, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you have to have this perfect, not it isn't perfect, but a good matching between what you can do and understand and what your kid needs and wants. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. sometimes, like you said, you pick one that one really loves and the other one doesn't. It's not going to work, you know. So yeah. Sometimes it's the best kind of both worlds you have to try to find, which is why I think we all end up going eclectic at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I've, there, there are no non-eclectic homeschoolers. I'm convinced <laughs> of it. Or there are three. And right. I think that some of the, the non-eclectic ones tend to be ones that have very large families where they're like, I, I don't physically have the, the time, time or, right. or energy to like, do anything custom because I'm I'm homeschooling four kids or five kids. It's yeah, like we need yeah. to buy things that all work. And and so I think that's a totally valid way. But for us who have, you know, one or two kids, maybe even three, I think we just kind of start dabbling because yeah. we can't help ourselves. What did you do for math? You said that the math was moving too slow. What what did you did you find a curriculum or did you Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to talk about math? I have I, math notes. Yeah, no. Oh let's yeah. Let's, let's get into um, it. Let's yeah. let me get so, my water. All right. Let's talk about math. Yeah, okay. So we have actually had a lot of uh, interesting math adventures. So okay. we started um, using uh, wild math. Okay. Yeah, we we're like, we can add this. Heard about that. And it seemed like in spirit, it's a lot of outdoor activities. She likes to be outside. She's really active. And it again, it appealed to me. She hated it. It didn't work. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, she I know was a lot of people so... that love it though too. So it's kind oh, of funny, absolutely. right? It's like, great. It and I differently. I have the author's like book on my bookshelf. I love her. She's great. Um, but she, um, my daughter, not the author of all about uh, um, wild math. My daughter, she had like absorbed this idea that when she was outside, she had free time. Okay. So when we started being like, okay, we're outside. So we're just going to do 10 minutes of writing numbers and chalk. She was like, absolutely not. <laughs> this is my time. This is my no way. School yeah. happens inside. Um, yeah, so she was not, she was not having it. She might actually like it more now, which is interesting because they change so much as they yeah. go. It's the other um, yeah, so we started adding that to the Oak Meadow and then we, um, I started making kind of my own math lessons to try to fit the style of what she had done, but teach her things that they hadn't covered yet. But that was sort of confusing. And um, then we tried Math Mammoth, which was too much for her. It was too much writing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, that's what actually, the math is actually what pulled me into studying Waldorf in more detail and then actually creating my own sort of Waldorf-inspired but secularized like taking it apart and building something else out of it. 
because the Oak Meadow was Waldorf inspired, but it's really its own thing. Okay. Um, and it is a secular curriculum, but most people, when they talk about secular Waldorf inspired curriculums, what they mean is we took Waldorf and we pulled out the overtly religious material and there's still underlying religious influences, which get kind of weird once you actually poke at them. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're into it, in which case, fine. Um, but I'm not. So, yeah, that fall. So it was like once we started first grade, she um, she started saying that she hated math. And she had previously been this really math loving kid who the math wasn't moving fast enough for her and it wasn't advanced enough for her. And I was like, okay, we got to do something else. We got to go back to when did you like math? Well, you liked math when we were doing the Waldorf math in Oak Meadow. So Mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to learn how to do Waldorf math now. I ended up joining a like subscription community group to learn about Waldorf education. I bought a stupid amount of Waldorf math books <laughs> and started, you know, I'm a nerd. So I was just like, okay, we're just going to go in. We're going to learn all about this and take it apart and then build something that actually works. And it worked. It was so much work. Um, it was an an incredible amount of like work on the back end for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really fun and really rewarding and really clicked with her in a way that other things weren't. And, and I'm sure and I'm sure that fed you because you saw it working. Yeah. That, like, you know, I, I feel like I can do more and I can I feel like I can, you know, continue this effort because it, it feels validating because it's working on the back on the front end. It's Absolutely. okay if I take a little bit more work on our end. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was yeah. like I'm staying up late writing my math curriculum stories <laughs> <laughs> and then waking up to teach them. Um, yeah. And uh, the first, the first Waldorf block that I did with her, I didn't tell her that I made it. Mm. I actually like printed it off to make it look like something that I found online so that she would actually trust me because if I said like I'm trying something new I made it myself she was going to be like absolutely not you crazy man (laughs) so so I just you know and then I think it was like six months later I told her I was like I actually wrote all those stories and she was really impressed so I was like oh that's cool so that really got me into like taking the Waldorf stuff apart and Mm -hmm. uh secularizing it which I know was one of the questions you guys had if you want yeah I'm really curious so Give us kind of the overview of what it is about Waldorf that you really like and that kind of, you know, how is it different from other teaching styles and like really appeal to your family? Yeah. I don't think we, yeah, yeah, we haven't covered, we haven't covered it on the podcast very much. Right. So. Okay. So Waldorf is weird. It's really weird. It's very um sort of self-contained. So the things that I liked about Waldorf initially is... I liked that in the earlier years, it was moving a little bit slower than a lot of other curriculums and resources that I saw. It's the same stuff that I liked about Oak Meadow, right? Which has that Waldorf influence. I liked the art focus. Um, I liked that there was a lot of emphasis on time outside. And we have a lot of neighbors who send their kids to 
our local Waldorf school and all those kids seemed happy and well-adjusted. Okay. So it was like, okay. Proof in the pudding. Okay. Yep. It's a little, it's a little weird, but the proof's in the pudding. These kids seem, you know, they seem happy. They seem smart. They seem well-adjusted. Yeah. They don't seem miserable, whatever. So, you know, there was, there was that. Um, so we actually, um, one of the schools that we had applied for, for preschool was our local Waldorf school. And when we did the tour there, the um, the really nice woman who was giving the tour, you know, she walked us around all the classrooms. They're all really pretty, but in this like weird specific way. Okay. And then she said, you know, she's going to give us a talk about the origins of Waldorf. And she said, you know, Waldorf education was created by Rudolf Steiner, this man who was a scientist who later became a philosopher. And through becoming a philosopher, he discovered you know, the correct best way to educate children. I see you smiling, Matt. (laughs) There's a lot of people who have those grand ideas. And I was like, that's a very interesting story. And it sounds like nonsense. It doesn't pass the Wikipedia test. No, (laughs) it doesn't pass the sniff test. Like Everybody thinks they know the best way. Right. And even, well, even so, I was like, scientist who became a philosopher, like, that's vague. What yeah. what kind of scientist was he? <laughs> like, um, yeah, so I started doing research into it, and uh, it was so funny. My partner was like, "I like this school. What did you think?" And I was like, "That story was weird. I'm going to go do research." <laughs> um, so I don't want to upset any more Waldorf parents that might be listening, but I would think that the more accurate version of the story is that Rudolf Steiner was kind of an academic who like edited some scientific papers mm-hmm. and he then became an occultist mm-hmm. and uh, studied under Madame Blavatsky was, in the Theosophical but was, Society. But that was very hot those days. Oh, it absolutely was. I, <laughs> it was yes. the thing. Yes, I'm vogue. not. It was a very vogue I'm not complaining. <laughs> and then he had um, some clairvoyant experiences Mm. and believed there are people who think that he was just kind of a charlatan but I assume he really believed that so he had these clairvoyant experiences which he believed gave him access to the Akashic records which of course are the magical space tablets (laughs) that have all of the things that have ever happened or will ever happen written on them so since he had access to all of those, he knew everything, including how best to educate children, but also how best to run a farm, all, medicine, yeah. so a it was lot very specific. of, of yeah. all the, the things that could come off of the space tablets. I feel like but, but, how to educate kids, that is the most. But he also talked yeah. about, about owning ducks named Mildred. yeah so he did actually i think education wasn't his primary interest that's just what has like so out of of this weirdness of his thoughts like like out of all of this kind of crazy he actually like you know even a broken clock is right you know twice a day right so he just but he there was some really good stuff that came out of this kind of wacky story yeah i think so so i think what probably happened is he had, you know, he had all of these ideas about human development. 
And then uh, a buddy of his who owned a cigarette factory was like, <laughs> hey, bro, you want to start a school? And we can use your ideas about how children develop to run the school. And he starts the school. But when you say he starts the school, what we mean really is he gave two weeks of lectures to the teachers who are starting the school and gave them some kind of some very high level instruction. Wow. Um, and that they were also already versed in his ideas about child development, which again, were based on his clairvoyant experiences and a lot of like very spiritualist ideas about how humans work. Um, so, you know, that, and some of it was, um, also probably just his opinions, right? Like, so there's a lot of stuff in there that was like, this was in Austria. So it was his responses to the things that he didn't like about the mm. current Austrian school system. So like, he didn't like that kids had to listen to long lectures. So he wanted them to learn through stories. So that's, mm. yeah. So that, like you said, I, I often think about it as a broken clock of that, mm -hmm. like these, there were these good ideas mixed in with these, totally weird ideas like you're not supposed to teach them the alphabet formally until age seven because from birth to age seven they're still developing their physical body there are four different bodies i can't remember all of their names wow um but only one of them is the physical body and then the other three are like spiritual or intellectual or whatever okay. and so you're you so you're not supposed to teach them the alphabet until around age seven because their physical body is still developing. And if you divert spiritual energy from their physical body to teach them the alphabet, then their organs will be malformed. Got it. Well, got it. Okay. Which, you know, it's it's yeah. kind of it's kind of funny. Because, super easily testable, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> right. But, they're, but they're talking about delaying reading now to like seven or eight years old. So yeah. it's kind of it's kind of weird. So that, it's like he had weird right. origins for that. But so do you think that really Waldorf education didn't come from this guy, but came from these teachers yes. who started the school who yes. had all this educational background and were like, maybe if we delayed reading, boy, they saw other benefits and went, Oh yeah. Yes. But it wasn't because of that. It was because of yeah, there may be that's some people child, child development and stuff. So really it was, I think these it's unsung heroes created, of teachers. Absolutely. I mean, especially those first teachers, like they had almost nothing to go on and they were making it up as they went along. And then all the yeah. teachers since then, because one of the things about Waldorf schools and Waldorf education as Steiner um, imagined it is that they wouldn't give the teachers a curriculum. Mm -hmm. They would say like the child is the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So the teachers, even in a school setting, are having to customize the curriculum to the kids in front of them every single year. And okay. also in most Waldorf schools, the same teacher follows the children through the grades. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a neat concept. So yeah. Um, unless you have a teacher you don't like, in which case it's say, not a meat concept. Be... <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, but when it works, it really works, right? Because so you start first grade with the same teacher that you would have through eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And so each summer, the teacher is studying up on the material for the next year and then thinking about the kids that they're working with. And that's cool. So, like, of course that works, right? Like, of right. course. It's the same thing that we do when we're homeschooling, right? When we give mm -hmm. kids individual attention mm -hmm. and learn with them, 
cool things happen mm-hmm. versus yeah. like mm-hmm. rotely, like if you only teach third grade, you're just like, well, this is what third grade is. And you just keep doing third grade every year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think a lot of the cool things that come out of it come from, you know, the three, four generations of Waldorf teachers that we now have who maybe would hate me and believe mm-hmm. a lot of Steiner's ideas and think that I'm horrible for divorcing them from what they do. But, you know, they're doing really cool things with it a lot yeah. of the do time. You, do you think in general for a homeschool family like Waldorf would be, it's a gentler approach, not quite as rigorous in an academic sit down, focus kind of way? So I think it's a gentler approach in the first few years and then it ramps up. And I think for some kids it ramps up too fast, okay. right? Like just like anything, there's going to be variation. But I do think it is a slower, gentler introduction to a lot of academic concepts and some kids benefit from that. Interesting. That's really cool. Yeah, I think that's really cool. So So, yeah, could you like walk us through a day? Like what what is a day for a secularized, eclectic-y, Waldorf-inspired, you know, homeschool? What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, great. Help help other families. Absolutely. So I'm going to go from kind of what we were doing for second grade. So we would wake up in the morning whenever we wake up, the best part of homeschooling. And then um, we would have breakfast and do our morning chores. We have ducks, so they have to be fed in the morning. Uh, All the stuff has to be done. And then um, my daughter would usually get dressed and ready with my partner while I kind of got myself ready and did a little bit of you know, looking over my notes to make sure I know what I'm going into. And then we would always start our day with something physical, some kind of physical activity. Um, That's one thing that I like about Waldorf is that they typically um, do like a circle time or some kind of physical activity to kind of introduce you to the day. Again, there are spiritual reasons for that. (laughs) We don't apply those we just are like hey we need to get our wiggles out so Mm -hmm. when she was younger we would do like you know dances with moves Mm -hmm. or whatever and then um and then when she got a little bit older and thought that was too cheesy we would just go for a long walk so we do our walk we come back and then we read or tell a story related to whatever our current block is Blocks are my favorite thing about Waldorf. So you have one focus for typically around a month, but it can be more or less. So you're really zooming in on that topic every day for about a month. So rather than trying to do science, social studies, and language arts all in one day or even all in one week, we're really zooming in kind of intensely in our one subject. So like if we were doing our earth science block, we would read something about earth science and then we would do something hands-on with that um, information, which would vary depending on what we were doing. Sometimes it would be a craft, lots of times it would be a craft or a drawing or a painting, or if it's a science block, maybe we're doing experiments. We love experiments. And, um, and then sometimes some writing. Um, that's another thing that I liked about it is that it was really easy to integrate 
writing into all of the topics. Mm -hmm. The Waldorf education doesn't give a lot of guidance as to how to do that. But um, I really love the book, uh, The Writing Revolution. I don't know if you guys have come across that. Nope, not yet. Um, We'll we'll put it in the show notes for others. Yeah, it's really, really great. And it talks about doing um, writing instruction at the sentence level early. Okay. And kind of teaching writing through all your other subjects. Mm, neat. Um, because, of course, you can write about science, right? Yeah, um, exactly. And it makes it more interesting for the kids, I think. So we would do that. And then she would have free time until lunch, however long that was. And then we'd have our lunch. After lunch, we would do our like non-Waldorf stuff. So that's when we would do our logic of English. And during the times when we were using a separate math curriculum, our math. Um, And we would keep those pretty short and as hands-on as possible. And then, you know, we're done after that. Um, Sometimes we would do some Spanish or some music as well, but that really varied. Um, But the main thing was to do that block in the morning and then some reading or phonics and um and math practice that seems really reasonable i mean how many hours do you think you were were spending um when you're actually like obviously you're getting ready in the morning you're doing wiggle time how much time were you actually devoting to you know education that you would you would deem yeah so i figured out if you're including the movement time which i did because it's time that she doesn't have free i would say about three hours okay and that and that was at a second grade level that was at a second grade level. Yeah. yeah. Three hours, really sometimes reasonable. less. Yeah. And did you think that was like maybe like at the top end of what she could handle? And maybe mm-hmm. she's like getting, yeah, I found like my, you know, our, my oldest right now is in second. And I'm, I feel like on my busy days, tapping out at three hours is is pretty much what she can handle right now. Yeah. And there, there's and was, part time in there too. It's yeah, not like yeah. all instruction, but yeah, this, right. we're all sit we're, down time. You know, with homeschooling families, we're always doing things that are educational. You know, we see everything as education. So it's hard right. to quantify that. But if I like I'm sitting down and I'm doing, you know, the ancient civilizations work and I'm doing mm-hmm. all about reading and then write start math and and maybe some other thing. It, you're right. It's about three hours maybe maybe somewhere yeah. in there but it's not yeah. int- it was was it an intense three hours for you do you feel like it was like really taxing or was it more of like a leisurely three hours I think it felt pretty leisurely once I got used to it you know I think that first year is going to feel taxing no matter what if someone's starting out because it's new yeah. and you don't know what you're doing yeah. um but I think you know by second grade it felt like a very comfortable leisurely three hours of like okay now we do this now we do this and also our three hours would be divided up between like, you know, maybe one and a half hours in the morning and one and a half hours in the afternoon, or probably more like two in the morning, one in the afternoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was really like, you know, she wasn't, I know a lot of homeschooling families like to get everything done in the morning so they can completely have the afternoons free. And that never worked for us because having that sustained focus for that long just felt really unfair to her particular brain <laughs> like yeah, she exactly. wasn't she wasn't there yeah absolutely so, how did you find your so you, you had a, a struggle at the beginning with the preschool mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. kind of came into it in the kindergarten you got all the way up to second grade how did you feel 
your relationship with your daughter uh, evolved over that time. I, I felt like I've gotten a lot closer to my daughter and I understand her. We don't have as much, um, like, she, you know, she talks to Ariel a little bit more about feelings and emotions stuff because, oh yeah, you know, that type of stuff. But it's, you know, with respect to like, I can just look at her and I know what she needs or I mm-hmm. just, I can look at like just her face and go, oh, she's not feeling it today or something like that. How do you, how did your relationship with your daughter evolve over that time? Yeah, I think that it really deepened in a lot of ways. And it, um, you know, I'm one of those parents who I don't play well. Mm-hmm. Like I will play with my daughter, but I'm not good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing He's the good one. I'm not. <laughs> I, I yeah. Can't yeah. My partner is the one who can play better. And which, so I which just... sounds sad as an adult to not be able to play well, but, but I kind of can't. it's hard it's hard and so I really I really felt like doing the homeschooling with her gave me a way to connect with her Mm -hmm. and a way to do these you know okay so we're not playing together every day but we're going on these adventures right like we're learning about ancient civilizations we're going for these long walks we're looking at birds we're you know Mm -hmm. discovering these math concepts together and being excited about king arthur and whatever like it was it was really cool and it allowed me to share some of my interests with her um we did a really fun block in first grade about the hobbit and that was that was so great that's actually the one that's in my um gumroad store right now it's the first Mm -hmm. one that i managed to package for other people (laughs) yeah we'll link it in the show notes yeah and it was so much fun to do it just really felt like you know we were going on this magical nerd adventure together. Yes. <laughs> and we did it when she was in first grade. And so she went from this really timid kid who really identified with Bilbo Baggins at the beginning to being like, oh, yeah, I can be an adventurer too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was, oh, so sweet, right? So you yeah. get to do those things together. And like you said, yeah, I felt like, because we were customizing and tailoring our curriculum all the time, I was always watching her and always trying to figure out what she needed and you get better at it over time. You just do. And it Mm -hmm. felt like we really got to know each other in a different way than we would have otherwise. So can you, can you tell me then, you know, you, you went through this adventure and it sounds like your, your time with homeschool really grew Mm -hmm. into this place where you were both really comfortable and now you you're transitioning to a new season and you're deciding that you're going to send your daughter back to school. What was that kind of like for you? Right? Why? What a bad idea. Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, I mean, no judgment. No judgment. Yes. Yeah. Um so the main thing for us was um the social piece. Hmm. You know, I feel like it's yeah. really kind of taboo to talk about socialization in a lot of homeschooling sp- spaces like let's, if you say let's like do it. I'm worried about socialization with my child. All of the homeschoolers are like, ah, socialization is fake. Um, <laughs> they don't socialize in school. They're automatons. Right. That's yeah, they're not allowed you know? to socialize in school. And yeah. Yeah. But for us, it really just came down to I'm fairly introverted. My partner is fairly introverted. Our kid is an extrovert. Mm-hmm. What do you do? And then the first year and a half we were like totally isolated because of covid and by the end of last year we had her in three extracurriculars a week and a weekly meetup hike where we would meet up with other homeschoolers in our neighborhood that or in our area that were friends of hers and um 
And she also has friends in our neighborhood that she plays with almost every day. And she was still telling me she was lonely. Oh, I love it's hard as an only. I was an only. It is. And yeah. It's it's kind of a hard thing. And which is one of the reasons why I don't know that I play very well as in, you know, now with my kids, because oh, I did that interesting play a lot with kids. Right. You know, I would have you'd have friends come over, but you didn't have like a constant sibling. And it can be lonely as an as an only, even if you yeah. are in a lot of activities. I, yeah. I feel that. And my partner was an only child, but was never lonely, but they were in school and after school programs and in a neighborhood where they had tons of kids over to their house constantly. So, you know, one of the reasons that I got on board with having an only child was my partner was like, no, it was fine for me. And I was like, okay, seems fine. But then, you know, COVID, what are you going to do? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so we had this super social outgoing kid who was lonely. And I, you know, at one point she turned to me and she said, I just like to be with other kids. And I like to be in a group of kids. That's when I feel best. And I said, okay, well, (laughs) there's a place where they put the kids in a group. (laughs) Maybe you should try going there. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, we've actually, at this point it's October and she's done about a month. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it really, it's a mixed bag. It's really about what I probably would have expected. She really loves the social part and the days are too long. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was curious about how the transition would be for her, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, how she took, to, our daughter is also incredibly social. Luckily I'm an extrovert as you can tell. So it works for me, you know, I can get her out and I can do things, but um, she is a real social bug. I mean, that's a big part for her, but I'm sure it and, would be hard. And I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm kind of an introvert in, in my day to day around right. my friends. Once I get comfortable around people, I could be very extroverty and talking, Absolutely. Blah, blah, blah. but like it, it, my, my nat, my natural thing is just to sit in the back because I'm the big ogre guy who sits in the back and I stand <laughs> yeah. on the wall and, you know, yep. and that's what I do. Right. And and I totally understand that. And it is hard to like, you know, get out and, and do things and meet people. And I, we have the barriers of like, well, these homeschool spaces tend to be primarily, you know, women and whatnot. And there's some, mm-hmm. there's some sh- friction there. I mean, walk up and go, Hey, can I have your number? So we it's can, so uh, uncomfortable. Oh we can God. have a play date and everything. And they're all looking at me going, no. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's hard for the dads. I think it's really yeah. hard. We, we have a, a, a little girl that our daughter wants to set up play dates with in preschool. And, oh, it was a thing. He so, goes, he goes, your mommy, you're going to preschool and I have a friend and you need to talk to her mommy and you need to get her number right. so we can have a play. Well, and he was like, I can't do that. I do the drop off. He does the pickup. And he was right. like, you need to do it yeah. at drop off because if I do it at pickup, it might not go as well. And I really right. felt like sad for him. Like, why should I have to be the one to not that I mind, but I just felt like you, you felt like the chances of getting this mom's number were exponentially higher if I asked than if you asked. Well, I mean, there's, there's yeah. a, then I, I ended I up told... finding out though, she has a stay at home husband. Yeah. So That's it true. actually would have oh, been perfect. fine. We didn't know, but it was, it was funny um, yeah. that these so many homeschool spaces are, you know, not, they don't say they're closed to dads, but they kind of are. <laughs> well, and we have a further barrier of, we don't live in an area with a lot of secular homeschool spaces. And a lot of homeschool spaces lean Christian and Mm -hmm. lean pretty conservative. Mm -hmm. And my partner and I are both visibly transgender people. Mm -hmm. So am I going to get anybody's number? 
no. That'd be more difficult. Right, yeah. If we're even going to get in through the door, right? Yeah, like, right. yeah. So, so you hard. know, we um last year she was doing a soccer program, which was not a homeschool specific program. It was just a soccer program. And I met a mom there who was a homeschooler and we chatted for a bit. And then, you know, I, she mentioned her co-op and I was like, oh, what co-op is it? Because there aren't that many in our area. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was one that was like, not just explicitly Christian. It was uh, mm-hmm. explicitly Christian for like a specific um, Christian classical curriculum and so it was just like a very like a very polite way of like a little nod like you would not be welcome there I'm like oh okay neat like I don't necessarily want to be in those spaces sure that's not going to be comfortable for me either but it does make it a bit more complicated and I feel like if we had something like a completely secular parent partnership like you Mm -hmm. guys have yeah. then, you know, we may not have ended up trying all day, five day a week school because it is a lot. I would have it preferred is, yeah. something part time, mm-hmm. but you have to go with the resources that you have in your area. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and you know, there's a lot of homeschool families out there who, you know, aren't going to go the distance. They're doing it for a short period of time. There's some mm-hmm. homeschool families that are like, I'm going to do it for elementary, but goodness gracious, I can't teach chemistry. So you'll go, you'll go to public school <laughs> at, in high school. Right. Yeah. You know, so being able to transition back and forth and, and maybe, Hey, we're, we're moving to, you know, our, my, you know, my spouse is getting stationed in Germany and we have to go to mm-hmm. Germany. I got a homeschool for a couple of years. And then when we come back, he'll go back to the public school. So it's, right. I, I love the free form yeah. acceptance that, you know, people are going to move in and out and situations are going to change. People may have to move for a job or whatnot and being adaptable and welcoming homeschool families. And then understanding that sometimes kids go back right. to the school. And I think it's a, a normal thing. I, I don't, I don't, yeah. And I think it's more normal than people realize that like a lot of homeschoolers, maybe even the majority of homeschoolers have sent kids to school at some point for some period of time. Well, especially since COVID, right? How many millions of kids were homeschooled for a couple of years and they just went back to public school. And I know I've met so many moms who have had like a difficult pregnancy and the kids go to school that year. Right. That's a great point. Absolutely. And and how many, how many homeschoolers are, you know, they go to school during the school year and they homeschool all summer. In my right. book, you're a homeschooler. If you are doing stuff on the weekends with your kids, even though they go to school during the year or you're doing extra stuff all summer or whatever, you're in, you're in the group, right? I don't mm-hmm. feel like we should be, we technically are public schoolers. Yeah, that, we, we don't actually, we aren't actually you know, by according to our state's law, we are not homeschoolers because we attend the parent partnership for performing yeah. arts. Yeah, we, right. We actually in our homes, like the state of Washington's numbers, we are not in the homeschool bucket. We are actually right. public school. So actually, right. the homeschool numbers in our state actually look kind of low. But because we have all these parent partnerships, everybody's in these programs, yeah. right? And and our daughter goes and takes a bunch of performing and practical arts, right? It's this is, she's not taking right. math and science and reading and all that stuff. So yeah, she's got choir in an hour, <laughs> right? Like, like she's just she's doing all this fun stuff, but technically we're public schoolers. So there's some folks that are going to get really nitty gritty about like, well, you aren't technically a homeschooler because you didn't have to do a declaration of intent and all this stuff. And it's like, we can talk about all the semantics, (laughs) but at the end of the day, we are, we are parents who home educate either part-time or full-time. And on our podcast, at least that's what counts in in my, in my book, because we got to all support each other because not everybody is doing any form of home education. And if you're doing a little or a lot, 
welcome, right? Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed with having her in school is it's different for my schedule, but it's not that much different. Like it, it feels the same as homeschooling in a lot of ways because it's like, I'm still watching my kid to see what she needs. Yeah, right? right. I'm still watching her to see what she needs. I'm still, when I got the questions from you, it was right before she went in and I was like, there's no way we're going to be doing any kind of homeschooling stuff with this schedule. Like there's no way she's going to have the mm-hmm. attention span for it. She's just going to want to play when she gets home and I'm going to have to let go of all of it. <laughs> and now we're reading um, history quests on the weekends. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you're going to do stuff during the summer because yeah. you want to. Yeah. Or like, you know, she, she stayed home the other day because she was just overwhelmed and stressed. And I'm like, I am team mental health days you don't have yep. to go screw right. it mm-hmm. they can deal with it <laughs> and uh and so she stayed home and it's like okay well what do you want to do let's let's go for a walk and then we'll read two chapters of lord of the rings yeah. and talk yeah, about right. your halloween costume and i would like you to do some writing during the day and so she wrote this cute journal entry about her walk with papa and how we found milkweed seeds and that's awesome i'm not supposed to say that it's cute because she's eight now she's very grown up but right it's unbelievable our our four-year-old doesn't want to be cute anymore it's it's cool or beautiful or nothing that's right yes yeah (laughs) cute is off the table um so so so, you know you you, you're you're kind of now split between the two places maybe give us some idea of like we always like to ask this question. I like this question because it always gives me something cool, which is, is there something in your homeschool from before? And even now, if you want to consider both times, um, what was something you couldn't live without? I would say before when we were homeschooling full time, I couldn't live without um, this very specific Waldorf thing. They're called main lesson books. So they're like these books with blank pages where the kids do all of their writing and drawing about a specific topic okay so it would be like you know we were doing a history block she would have all of her drawings and paintings and anything except 3d stuff would be in this one place oh so so they put all the work and effort into like a almost like a journal in some respect yeah it's like a journal it's very much like a journal they're trying to be this keep shorter Yeah. And then I put them all in a box and when we're done with them and then when we do review, like it makes review so easy because you just pull it out and then the kid is flipping through their own writing about these things. Even if they did it as copy work, it feels like like theirs, you know? And so then they're flipping through it and they're like, oh, I remember when we did this part or I forgot this part. And it's so fun. And that was... Yeah, that was really cool. And that was probably my favorite thing. And if you'd asked me last year, I would say we couldn't live without that. Now we are living without those because we're not homeschooling every single day. So it's not consistent enough to feel like we have this one thing. Um, Right now, I would say um, I probably couldn't do it without the nature trails in our neighborhood. We happen to live in this little pocket within a largely urban environment where there's a lot of nature and little urban farms. And we have these beautiful um, paths through little bits of woods and a park that's maintained by our local Audubon. And um, yeah, when we're doing a homeschooling day, that's usually the first thing we're doing is going for a walk and talking about 
what has changed since the last time we walked through here. And that's, yeah, I probably couldn't live without that. No, I really identified that we had a park that's about a, I don't know, three quarters of a mile away that we always walked mm-hmm. to. And yeah. the park had been torn down this year because it was oh. unsafe and they had to rebuild it, but they didn't, they took their sweet old time rebuilding it. Of course they I, did. Last year, I did a lot of like picnic uh, learning lunches out there where I would yeah. bring curriculum with me. We'd sit down, have a picnic and we'd do some work and whatnot. They play and come back. We do a little bit more work. And I, and I love that. I did it like 10 or 12 times this summer. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And this year I didn't have it this year. And I felt like I want to go do the lunch picnic thing with them. And I felt really like I was losing something. So I, I really identify with the walks and having the nature right there in the yeah. backyard is just it's, amazing. Yeah. And I think especially, I'm sorry, just because we started homeschooling during COVID, that too was like, actually, we started homeschooling during COVID without a car. So we couldn't leave our neighborhood. Wow. Oh, man. That's right. For a year. And that was, yeah, having those green spaces close by saved us so many times. I can believe it. So I'm, I'm really curious with this transition back to school. We talked about how your daughter's adapting to that. Curious about you, though. How... One of the things for us is that when we, like when our daughter goes and stays with my, my parents or his parents, you know, and she'll be like, oh, she'll be gone for a few days or whatever. We are with her so much. And especially you, you're like, you miss her intensely. How, how are you feeling with the transition to school? I enjoy every minute. (laughs) No, I mean, like, (laughs) how has that changed the rhythm of your day? And, and are you kind of dealing with some, like a little bit of loss there of the, of that time with her? How, How do you feel? Uh, yeah, the, the word that comes to mind is grief. Mm -hmm. I just being really honest, it, um, I really love doing it and now I'm not doing it all the time. And Mm -hmm. it, um, it's really a hard transition for me. I think in some ways it's a harder transition for me than it is for her Mm -hmm. because she's busy. She's busy and she's making new friends. And I have, um, no, I can do work, I guess, but that's <laughs> not satisfying in the same way. Yeah. And um, I like that the house is quieter because kids are loud. Yes. But um, but yeah, I do really miss her. I do really miss her. And I do. Um, I am struggling, I think, still with that transition and how that's kind of shaking out. I actually. Um, one of the things I've been doing is taking that time to actually take the curriculum pieces that I've made for her and for us over time and make them into things that I can sell so that other people can use them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been really rewarding. And I just finished putting together my um, secular Waldorf rhythm guide. And I'm like, I need to go through these steps for myself because now that my life is so much different, I have to, like, I have to find how this is going to work for me during the day while she's gone. And then in the afternoon when she comes back and everything's, you know, that's, she comes home at four and she goes to bed at eight. So that's four hours of uh, kind of go time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything yeah. has to happen in those four hours. So yeah, it's uh, it's still very much in process figuring out what the new normal is going to be, um, but I think I'm making I am making progress on it. Okay, slowly but surely. Well, tell tell us a little bit about the Gumroad store that you have and and the things you're offering there. Yeah, so I have been working for the last 
probably two years on creating these completely secular Waldorf resources um, for myself and my own child. And, you know, I originally wanted to have some of them up. I thought I was going to get the Hobbit block up a month after we completed doing it. And it took a year and a half. It takes so long. No, 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 no. Like, like, oh, I have to type this up and then I have to edit it. And once you type it up, then you think about, wait, other people are going to want more options for this thing. It's intense. So Mm -hmm. what I've been doing, um, which I love doing, is I'm taking a stance of using the things that work well for me and that I think are practical and usable about Waldorf education and then pulling out all of the stuff that is religious influence, right? Mm -hmm. So like using the fancy beeswax crayons, that's not religious influence. They're just nice crayons. It's fine to have nice art supplies. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's fine to have the religious stuff if you like it again, but not everybody does. So pulling out, you know, you can only do this at this age because they're not spiritually developed enough to learn real history until they've done blah, blah, blah. No, we don't do any of that. So I pull out all of that stuff and then I create resources that enable parents who don't like taking things apart and putting them back together again, because I don't know if you guys know this, but not everybody wants to build everything from scratch. It's very strange. No. They're not there yet. They're not there. Yet. <laughs> All the other parents or maybe are they're maybe they open and go this it. and open and go that, and I'm like, well, where's the fun in that? So you know, maybe they're just further in their journey. Maybe this is like a maybe this is like a cyclic thing. You start out with yeah. the open and go, then you like customize everything, then you realize you were You're crazy like, for doing it, it and you go back <laughs> to just open and go. Right. Yeah. So in the meantime, they're more. While I'm still in there. I'm <laughs> I'm making resources that um allow other people to have clear steps to how to go through, you know, if you like the look of Waldorf or some of the feel of Waldorf, but you're uncomfortable with educating based on a guy in 1819's clairvoyant experiences, Mm -hmm. me too. (laughs) And, um, you know, here are how you can use the art-centered approach and the movement-centered approach without necessarily having to buy into the whole thing or without coming across religious um, content Mm -hmm. that is going to make you uncomfortable. Because like, for example, one of the things about Waldorf education is they do uh, Bible stories in third grade. And if you listen to the stuff that's for the parent end, it says that it's just because those stories happen to meet children's developmental needs Hmm. in third grade. It's not for religious reasons. It's just that it meets their developmental needs. Well, if you read the books that are written for Waldorf teachers, it says that um, you teach them Bible stories in third grade, or actually it's second grade, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So that they will, um, their inner voice, their inner voice of their conscious will become the voice of the Abrahamic God. Gotcha. Oh, well. That sounds like religious influence to me. So we can teach history without that. Mm -hmm. We've been teaching history without that in the rest of the world for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yeah, so really taking that apart and creating things um, for people who want to use some of it, but not all of it, and don't want to have to take it apart themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Well, though. that's great work. I'm sure that I, yeah. I'm really interested to check out the Hobbit one. When yeah, we're sure. right. Yeah, we love the Hobbit. Yeah, we oh, do. So, good. so, so, which movie did you show show your daughter? Did you show her the cartoon from the old Absolutely. days? Of course, Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I was just, I was just That's what we grew up with. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm, I was just talking to the neighbor about this this morning. Um, it's a little bit later here. Yeah. Um, we, I'm of the opinion that the um, live action Hobbit movies are an abomination. Yeah. They're too so, long. Well, we watch short we, book. We watched the fan edit. Uh, yeah okay oh way i haven't seen that better oh yes gotta look okay. fan edit. okay fan right. as long as you like right. own the hobbit you can get this it's, fan it's edit a little choppy okay. at some points because okay. jackson pumped in a lot of extra but stuff. they take yeah. the entire three movies down to like four hours total for everything together and because yeah. the thing is it's like i felt like the live action movies were like they were trying to make the hobbit as like epic and grandiose as the lord of the rings and i'm like well it just isn't it's a sweet little book Mm-hmm. it's yep. great but it's a sweet little book yeah they took out they took out a lot of things in the fan edits and it was most really of the third good. movie was removed <laughs> right all the white orc you stuff was removed yeah the battle of the five armies that movie cropped down to like 30 minutes yeah, like was, the whole movie the whole it was movie. all was left so yeah. fan edit it, the people can it, can seek out the fan much edit. better okay. and since we own the hobbits okay. we were like okay cool we'll go get the fan edits yeah, yeah okay it was much better cool but well, yeah so this has been so much fun i gotta say yeah th- thank you had a great morning thank with you so much for David, for spending all the time with us. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. Thank you for talking with me. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!